What is good doctrine? Let's pop the top on this. Cue the music. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your strength What's up, guys and gals? I'm Carl. And I'm Chris. And you're listening to another episode of that Philly Faith Podcast, where we talk the walk and walk it, too. What you got for me, Chris? Want a dad joke right off the bat? Right off the bat, yeah. Right off the bat. I don't see any reason to delay. Right on. No hesitations. Who was the best babysitter in the Bible? Hmm. I got nothing. David, because he rocked Goliath to sleep. (laughs) That's... That's rough. That's really rough. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I like it. Right? I like it. That's funny. I actually wanted to talk about David at some point this episode. So that's, that's perfect. I didn't tell you about that. What's on your mind? As always, we're going to start off with our with our open discussion. We haven't. What's we just, on your mind? Yeah. <laughs> but there you go. The what's on what's on your mind segment. I like that. That's what we're going to call this. All right. This just sort of turned into our routine at this point. So mm-hmm. we're just going to kind of make it more. I guess streamlined in right the episodes. On. We'll start off with this it's open discussion. It's what's on your mind segment and then transition over to our actual main Bible topic. Right. It'll give us an opportunity to just kind of share right. whatever's been on us this week. So Yeah, not to be confused with no holds bar episodes. Yes, yes. Clearly different. All no rules all times. Yes. This is just for the beginning. Exactly. Kind of, kind of a maybe a catch up. I like it. So what's on your mind, Chris? Right. Well, I mean, I don't have a whole lot. Just um, kind of rehashing, you know, of our last no holds bar, um, you know, reconnecting with the people that you've lost connection with, mm-hmm. and um, you know, getting over the, uh, I don't know, I don't know how, really how we define it, but the, the guilt of not reaching out, right? Or you know, and and so I even took that a step further. As I, you know, there was a couple people that, for whatever reason, came into my mind that I had, I had wronged and, uh, you know, trying to set those right. And, um, right. You know, a lot, I think I, and I, I thank God that I was shown, you know, his grace through those people, you know, one, one, one individual was even before I could finish saying what I was saying, he's like, yeah, you're forgiven. Even before he <laughs> asked, even before he asked, you were forgiven. So, you know, I mean, it's. I think it's important that um, just remember, you know, especially nowadays with with everything that's going on, reach out to those people. Mm-hmm. That uh, if you've been, if you've had somebody, you know, in your mind or in your heart that, like, oh man, I need to talk to that person. Go do it. Don't wait. Right. Restitution's important. Mm-hmm. Important, and so is forgiveness. I, I always go back to that verse. You know, love covers over a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. You know, if we expect him to forgive us for every fault and flaw and mistake we make, you know, with him, and if we're not willing to do that for others, then kind of hypocritical. You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, so it kind of ties into. I don't know if you remember a while back. I said I was working on a on a on a, on a writing. Yes, I'd almost forgotten about that. Oh uh, yeah, I I've come to the realization I'm not a very good writer. Oh okay. So I mean I will I'll probably save it for our next no holds bar because it's it's a pretty lengthy 
um, explanation or, or, you know, set up to the story. But, um, I mean, the, the cliff notes are, um, you know, don't, don't put things off. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it, especially because a lot of the things that you put off for the reason that you put them off aren't really the good, that good reasons. No, they're yeah. almost always pretty selfish. Yeah. So, um, more on that on our next episode. But. I like it. Yeah. Tomorrow's not promised. It's not. And that's kind of what we talked about the last last episode. We talked a lot mm-hmm. about death. And uh, speaking of that, that kind of frustrated me a little bit. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm going to try not to get too ranty and ravey. But people have really been irritating me the last couple of weeks. I really? think it's because I'm sick. I've yeah. been sick. Full disclosure, those of you listening, I've been sick. I don't know what I had. I have my suspicions. Might have been a boogie bug. Not sure. Uh, yeah. But it kicked me in the teeth. Yeah. And it really damaged my patience level. Yeah. Right. With people. So we talked about how Bob Saget died, right? Right. And as soon as we came off that episode, I get on social media and I got to just, I got to delete my account or something. Cause that's where it always starts. Yeah. Both of my frustrations came from Facebook. Oh man. And they yeah. always do. Always do. They always do. But somebody was going on a, on a tangent about some of the things, the allegations about Bob Saget when he was younger. And I don't know if they're true. Right. right. Pretty vile stuff. I don't know that they're true. I I have a hard time believing this person could possibly know that they are either. Right. But that doesn't stop people from repeating it like it is fact, mm-hmm. which is a problem. It's problematic yeah, when you don't have a, evidence. Yeah, a gigantic problem on social media because, I mean, once that's out there, true or not. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. That damage is done. Yep. What bothered me was they were they they were coming at it from the perspective that it was definitely true, these allegations that he had committed some pretty vile sins, right? And of course, the assumption that he'd never repented, that's always there. He did a bad thing 20 years ago, and he must have never repented. And then it turned into an attack on anybody lamenting that he had died. I don't get me wrong. I don't don't worship at the feet of celebrity. I don't mourn him any more so than I mourn anybody else. We we transitioned pretty quickly that last episode into somebody in my personal life that had died. It was more impactful, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I only mentioned it because of just the reality of death in our world. It's a sad thing, right? And I'm sorry if I'm wrong here, but I don't understand the mentality from a believer that if somebody's committed sins that they haven't repented for, that should make us less sorry that they died. That makes me more sorry. Yeah. Right? Where's our heart at? Right? That... It's almost like we enjoy the thought of people going to hell without, without repentance. Mm-hmm. It's almost like we, we get some sort of sick pleasure in that. I don't, and I'm not going to apologize for that, right? If somebody's a sinner that goes to their grave without repenting, that gives me cause to mourn harder. Right. It doesn't make me happy. And I just, I guess I just don't understand and it kind of ties into my my deeper frustration is that it seems like we as believers, and it doesn't matter on which side of the tour divide you look, we've become chronic fault finders and nitpickers and know-it-alls, right? Mm-hmm. We constantly want to criticize everybody for everything they say, right? And it's, it's always kind of what we just talked about, pride. Right. It's always selfish. It's always to uplift yourself. Here recently, I just, I, I posted something, again, Facebook, 
It always starts there. Always mm-hmm. irritates me. Do you have those people on social media that when you get a notification and you see their name pop up, you just groan because you know it's not going to be anything good. Right. There's there's going to be no positivity. There's going to be no encouragement. There's going to be no, hey, I'm here for you, man. Hey, you're doing a good job. It's going to be, I'm going to nitpick every tiny minutia of wording that you used to tear you to the ground to make myself look smarter. Right. That's what it's going to be. That's what this guy was. Anytime mm-hmm. I see his name, I know that's what it's going to be. Chronic fault finder, chronic nitpicker. And I think it bothers me because that used to be me. I think that's why it bothers me so much. Mm-hmm. If I'm being transparent and honest about it, I know I have that that lurking in my heart too. Right. And I really try to fight against it. Mm-hmm. I think, as I say, when you say, you, you know, you see a lot of that, and you, you kind of don't know why. I, I think that kind of answers the question is, you know, we, you know, we take pleasure in knowing that like somebody got their just rewards, you know, right. or they, they justice was served because we're on the right side. You know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's that mentality like, Hey, I'm repentive. I'm doing the right thing. So I'm on this side of it and I'm glad I'm not on that side of it. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, it's almost like kind of like a self-fulfilling thing where we were, like you said, we, we almost take pleasure in, 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 in that and something like that happening. And, and other people being wrong and proving mm-hmm. somebody else wrong. Yeah. It's like we, it's a game. It's right. not a fellowship. It's not a brotherhood anymore. It's just a, it's a, I don't know. It feels like one massive collection of clicks is what believers have turned into. Right. You know, that was always my biggest complaint with the churches, but these people that pride themselves on having come out of the church, come out of her, my people come out of Babylon, they say, and entered into these Torah groups. They're just as bad. Right. They, you know, yeah, they do Sabbath now. That's good. They do the holy days now. That's good. But they took all the bad behavior that they learned in the churches and carried it right along with them. All the stuff they should have left on the shelf. Mm-hmm. If they were going to pride themselves on coming out of her, my people, maybe you should have taken the bad behavior and left that too. Right. Instead of carrying it along with you and becoming exactly what you claim to hate. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what I see. That's the problem. Right. And I guess my, I don't, I want to cut myself off here cause I'll get very right. ranty right? and it, it's going to turn sideways real quick. And I don't want that because that's pride. We just need to guard how we treat each other. Right. You know what I mean? I think also too, you kind of touched on it too, that it all starts with social media. And, and I bet most of the stuff that you're seeing and that you're talking about the, the hateful and the the hatefulness and vindictiveness is probably coming from social media Mm -hmm. because I mean, that is a gigantic vehicle for people like that. It gives, it gives everybody a voice and everybody the ability to be an animus behind a keyboard. This is exactly it. You know, yeah. so, but, but, you know, if you, I would almost wager a, a bet that if you went door to door with the, with those, with your, you know, post topics or, you know, discussion questions and you went door to door, I would, I think that by and large, you would find a lot more people on the opposite side that would be willing to talk to you. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, a lot of people might just slam the door in your face, but I mean, I would almost have that than somebody going, Oh yeah, let me hear what you have to say so I can pick it apart. Right. Right. I'd rather just somebody be like, you know what? I don't want to listen to you and just move on. Yeah. Right. Which is what a lot of us should do on social media. Huh? Well, I disagree with you move on. Yeah. But there's always that. And I, I find myself doing that too. I find that pull of, um, 
warming up the keyboard. And then I'm like, hey, why? Yeah. What's it going to prove? You're just going to get into a, to, to a, a, a shouting match, basically more or less on over comments. Mm-hmm. It's going to ruin your whole entire day. I think so. the past year I've hit backspace on more comments and actually hit enter on, mm-hmm. right. to be honest with you, get it all typed out. And you're like, Oh man, that felt good. Then you reread it and you're like, this isn't right. This isn't good. It's I'm almost, just wallowing in the mud with them. I need to stop. Yeah. It's almost like the, the old adage of, you know, write, write a letter and put it in your top drawer. And if you read it a week later and you still feel like that, send the letter. Mm-hmm. Like the internet takes that away. Right. Yeah. I think people get, and then I think people get uh, almost get a high off of that. They send that in her, you know, and then, oh, you know, that leads to somebody else responding to them, which leads to, which them, then they respond and it's just a vicious cycle. We let the internet and social media tempt us into stripping other people of their humanity. Right. We approach, you know, like those comments that, we, that we're talking about or alluding to. I would wager that 99% of the people that, are, that comment like that, they'd never talk to you to your face like that. Mm-mm. They'd never talk to you like that. Nope. Because something in their soul before they got it out of their mouth would say this ain't right. Yep. But for some reason, the internet and social media just removes that filter from us. Right. And it shouldn't. And I guess, I guess the takeaway that I, I want to express here is if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't say something to somebody's face, if you're commenting something on social media and you can reread it and you, you, you can state with a surety, I would never say that to their face backspace on it. Right. We need to really guard our attitude and the way we treat each other. Love matters. Mm-hmm. And being on the internet doesn't give you an excuse to stop loving and start being more prideful. Right. It shouldn't anyway, but I don't know. I guess that's been, that's been my frustration the past couple of weeks. And yeah. it's again, it's probably cause I haven't felt good. <laughs> so yeah, I've been irritable. yeah. A little bit irritable, but I mean, that stuff does, I mean, does wear on you. We had a talk not too long ago where I was, I was one, I'm like, yep, that's it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm plugging, I'm disconnecting from social media for a while. I think, you know, but you know, the reality of it is, is, you know, we, we rely on social media to get our message out. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, to disconnect from that, you'd be disconnecting from the people that are looking for positive things from, from social media. So it's kind of like, well, you know, you cut your nose off to spite your face if you just, you know. I'm going to turn it off because I'm tired of everybody's negativity. Well, then maybe you should try to look for positivity. Right. Right. So, I mean, so, I mean, I, I, so let me, long story short, I didn't go back and as you know, I didn't go back and disconnect from any of that, but yeah, I think the, and, and I can attest to that too, you know, being underneath the weather, it makes you more irritable. I, I had to apologize to one of my coworkers the other day cause I was, I'm work from home, so on on the tail end of me not being underneath the weather, I can go ahead and get on and kind of muddle through a day. But on the phone with them, I just I didn't wasn't yelling at them. I was just yelling at a situation. But I was like, I'm I'm really sorry that I just sat here and yelled in your ear for half an hour about something that you didn't even do. You know, so. And I've been guilty. When you're wrong. That's, that's what I say. I think that's why it irritates me a lot as I see myself in it. Yeah. And maybe that means it should irritate me less because I see myself in it, right. but it's, it's the opposite. Cause I know I've been, I've been guilty. Somebody will say something and I, I fly off the handle cause I make assumptions about it, right or wrong. 
and I end up apologizing for it later, but I don't know. I'm just irritated with people. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm being honest, <laughs> a friend of mine said, and he, it was about this situation that I know he was, he was posting about. He was like, you know, know it all itis is killing our tree. It's poison in the tree. Yep. We're, we're more concerned with proving how much we know than proving how much we care or showing how much we care. I right. should say. And I don't know. I guess that's why I, I, I mentioned that there's just some, some of those names you see, they pop up and you know it's going to be a nonstop critic, crit, uh, critique. It's going to be a review of everything you said, mm-hmm. and it's not going to be a good one. Right. And I, I don't know. I guess if you're, if you're one of those people, if you're one of those people that your name pops up and you cause people to recoil because they don't want to read what you said because they know it's probably not going to be good, you probably need to reevaluate the way you approach people. You know what I mean? Yeah. No matter how much you know, the way you're expressing what you know isn't good. Right. It's not good. I'm trying not to get into specifics because I don't want people to tie it to a specific person. It's just, if it, you know, and don't get me wrong. If I'm wrong, correct me. I don't mind being corrected. What I mind is when you get so nitpicky that you're going to, you're going to critique the way I spell a name. Just for the sake of critiquing something, because that's what happened here. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! Just stop. Right. Just stop that. I, I, that's ridiculous. I I would not have a leg to stand on if that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much else I had really, as far as just regular things happen. And I've been such a shut in the past two weeks, right? That not a lot's happened for me to talk about. Yeah, I mean that's kind of a problem when you're right. doing a, an open discussion on things that have happened <laughs> yeah. with you the past couple of weeks. I got nothing. Well, that's why I, I got mean, social media. That's what I've got to talk about. Yeah, and I don't want to talk about that anymore. Yeah, and that's kind of you know, <laughs> and that's the and that's the reality of our world now is where you know where we used to go if we got snowed in for three or four days we'd read books or play games or mm-hmm. whatever. And now it's just tool and social media. And so you have an accumulation of the, you know, you're shutting cause of the weather you can't really go outside cause it's like two degrees outside, yeah. you know, you get, you, you're not feeling well cause of, you know, whether it's a, a head cold or sinus problems or, you know, the, the bug, um, then you get depressed. Yeah, right. Because the more you're shut in, the less you're doing, the more depressed you're going to get. Mm-hmm. I think the enemy just immediately sweeps in. It's like, ah, I can yeah. use this. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's frustrating. We played a lot of SnowRunner. I don't know if the audience cares about that. That's oh, a video man. game. Yeah. I, I'm telling I don't know you, how I can tie that into anything Christian uh, or spiritual. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's simplicity, right, in the game. Like, yeah. I, it's what I, I was, you know... My, one of the times we were playing, my uh, my brother-in-law was staying with us, and uh, he was like, so what is this game? He's like, I Shrew Truckers? And I was like, no, it's called SnowRunner. I kind of explained the, the premise of the game, and I said, "It it's not complicated, but it's complicated. Yeah. So to, <laughs> so- to fill you in, those of you listening, <laughs> you literally, like, you take contracts, and you you carry loads to different job sites, like, bricks yeah. and wood yeah. but we're literally playing a video game doing a job for free we paid for the privilege of playing a video game yeah. that simulates doing a job that no that nobody that not very many people like doing yeah i don't yeah. don't ask yeah. i don't know why it's satisfying it sounds stupid 
but there's something just cathartic I don't know, I about do, it. I could play for hours. <laughs> yeah, makes me want to be a trucker. Kind of. I told, I told, uh, I told my wife. I was like, I was like, you're. I was like, because I one of the times where I like I backed up the semi perfectly and 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 attached to a trailer perfectly and parked it without any damage and disconnected and I, I told so my so my uh my wife's father he is the shop foreman for a trucking company so he's the for less for lack of a better term the head mechanic mm-hmm. right and uh so he's been around semis his whole entire life so i'm like yeah your dad would be real proud of me you know, i'm a real trucker now <laughs> yeah it's like not even not even a breath of what real truckers do on a real on a daily basis no man a couple weeks well more than a couple weeks ago i guess it was a couple months ago now uh micah and i we had to he had some i think he had family at his place so uh somebody from the church let him borrow their their huge camper it's this right. massive camper right this fifth wheel camper and they needed it brought back and they had this barn that they stored in to cover uh-huh. it so we had to back it up into this barn and i mean it fit like a glove that's how tight it was yeah. in there they had like they had clearly had stuff sort of piled up around it so we had to just we had to hit this perfect thread to get this massive camper back bro it was a circus it was an absolute <laughs> circus. The game's nothing like real life. No, we no. couldn't even get that thing backed up in there. Good, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> that's one of those things that if you don't do it every day, day in and day out, yeah, and start and start off like you got thrown into like a medium difficulty situation. <laughs> you know, like it's like you know everybody fears the parallel parking portion of the driver's test, yep. but in actuality, the actual space is like 16 feet long. Yeah. Like you could park two cars in it essentially. Right. Uh-huh. So, you know, you get all that, uh, you know, that anxiety going. And I remember, you know, a similar situation where even just like back in the boat down the ramp at, at Mark Twain Lake, when we were going fishing, you know, when I was little, like just that much, you're like, uh, you know, that uh-huh, anxiety yeah. creeps up on you so yeah but, oh man speaking of parallel i know this is <clears throat> this is going off sideways hopefully you guys enjoyed just random conversations <laughs> i plan is being spiritual more than more than this but that's fine speaking of parallel parking i think the only time i've ever legitimately parallel parked was that test 20 yeah. years ago yeah so to this day i will not parallel park unless there is just like a clear i can pull straight into it opening right you know what i mean yeah oh yeah i, I don't know. I, will, park. I will i will avoid like I will walk two blocks yeah. to avoid parallel parking. So will I. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why it bothers me so much, but like you talk about anxiety. Like I get, I get tripped up on stuff like that. I'm like, right. no, I'm not doing it. I'd rather walk yeah. a mile. I'll just walk from home. Yeah. But, <laughs> I'll just, we'll just go back yeah. home. And we'll walk F- across. Fun fact. Fun fact is, you know, so, and, and, you know, when we were, when, you know, all around the time we were all taking that test, my dad actually like put two hay bales in our driveway and, uh, I, we practiced for months I got fairly decent at it, but so, you know, the, the, the last part of, I don't know how it is today, but the last part of my driving test was the parallel parking. Mm-hmm. And I looked, I looked at the, the person giving me the, and I said, well, how am I doing so far? And they were like, great. You're, I mean, you're, you know, 20 for 20 at that point. And I was like, great. I'm not going to parallel park. <laughs> they're like what it's like it's like minus five points on the test right so it it brought me down to where i would still pass i'm like great i'm not parallel park yeah we're done here yeah so i never <laughs> even really parallel parked 
during the driving test. Hilarious. <laughs> I know I did because I was I I don't know what my deal was on that test. I failed the first time. Yeah. Full transparency. Failed the driving test. I don't know how. I remember there was there was some woman because I took it in New London where we yeah. grew up, right? And there was, I remember when we were younger, and I think there was the same people that did it in Hannibal. So you really couldn't avoid them. Uh-huh. You couldn't go to a different town to avoid them, but you knew there was like three options of who you could get that would grade your test. Mm-hmm. And there was this old woman that graded test, and nobody passed the first time. It's almost like she intentionally failed you the first time, no matter what you did. Right. And of course, so I draw the, her the first time. Was that the written portion of it, or the, oh, the written driving? portion? I was fine. The actual driving. Oh, part. okay. Right on. I've never failed a written test my entire life. I don't think on anything. Yeah. But that driving test, man, she couldn't, she couldn't wait to fail me, man. I don't even know why she didn't just skip the whole, the whole middleman scenario and just tell me when I walked in the door, here's your D. Just come back later when you draw somebody else. Like why even bother going? (laughs) You're going to fail me no matter what. (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, I was going to say, I remember, I think I remember the person that the particular person you're talking about, because I've heard the same story of people that would, would put the car in drive and pull out of the lot and she'd be like, you failed. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, one of the big things is, you know, you have to put your seatbelt on when you start. Mm-hmm. And then you have to make sure everybody else in the car has a seatbelt because that's your responsibility, which I think I can argue all day about that. But, right. But, yeah, so, I mean, on that on that portion of the test, that if you don't do those two things, fail. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, there's some people that, you know, would let some instructors would let you go ahead and take the rest of the test. That one, nope, yep. fail. Turn Done. around, go back. I will. I will say. Speaking I of chronic Nick Pickers, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I. Uh, I remember. I. I failed the the written part. I think three times. So, I know I failed twice in one day, and then I failed one more time because you know you can only take it so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, per per round per day, right? So we, I can't remember where I took it the first time, but I failed there. So we like, you know, sped, <laughs> broke the broke the driving laws to the next, <laughs> yeah, to the next town over and took it, and I failed there. And I'm like, well, I'm, can't do any more today. So I had to come back another day and try again. But you know, now that I think about it, I may have lied. I think I did. I think I did fail the written test the first time and then had to retake it. Right. Now that I think about it, it's been I so think long ago. that's pretty common to to miss it your first time. And it's the wording. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah. that the wording is kind of kind of difficult. So it's like, you know, there's two right answers, but one's more right than the other. Right? Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I still get kind of stressed out when they do the eye test and they have you like pick out signs. And I don't know why I stress out because I know all the signs. Right. You know what I mean? Like I know them all. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. There's something about when they when you know they're grading you, yeah. it stresses you out. Even yeah, it more. does. Yeah, test taking. That was a fun tangent. Yeah, that was. <laughs> Let's. Uh, I guess we'll transition to something more Christian based. Right <laughs> Since we went on our 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 little rabbit trail there, what is good doctrine? Ooh. That was the question I had for our for our open segment this week. What is, what is good doctrine? Good doctrine. It's hard to define. It I is. Mean, essentially, to me, anything that doesn't lead you astray is good. But So it agrees with the Father? Yeah. So it's not what agrees with centuries of mainstream Christian thought? Mm. If that happens some, to disagree with the Father? Right. Some some people would, would 
would disagree, but you know, I mean, if, if a doctrine disagrees with what he says, it's not a sound doctrine. So this week we're back into our intent series. Right. Right. And this is really the, the whole purpose is to highlight what good doctrine is from the father's perspective. And I think this kind of highlights what you just said, that a lot of people would disagree, right? right? Well, we've always believed this. This is what the church always taught. And what difference does it make? Yeah. If what the church has always taught for the past 1,500 years disagrees with what the Father clearly says, we should disregard it, right? Right. And my worry is that believers would be more inclined to hold on to Christian doctrine, even if it disagrees with the Father, than they would be inclined to hold on to what the Father says. And I find that deeply problematic. Mm-hmm. Proverbs, the the proverbiest, the the proverbist, the the proverbialist. Is that a word? What do you call somebody who writes proverbs? The psalmist writes psalms. Oh, right. Does the proverbialist write proverbs? I'm gonna go with that. that I like sounds it. Sounds good. We're gonna coin it. I coined a couple the last episode. You can coin that one. This one. All right. So in chapter four. The proverbialist says, I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. Links those two things together. And law there is in Hebrew is Torah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think we know what Torah is. Torah is the instructions given by the Father. And Malachi kind of defines it for us in a way that's pretty inarguable. It's Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. And he says, Remember to obey the law, the Torah of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. That is, by the way, the last prophetic book before Jesus. So in the traditional Christian ordering of the text, the very last thing you'll read before you come to Matthew is, remember to obey the Torah of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. So, we have the Father telling us through his word that good doctrine is defined as the Torah that he gave to Moses on Mount Sinai to all Israel. And we've talked about that before, that we are Israel. We are Israel. We are Israel. That's, That's undeniable. That's another one of those Christian doctrines that just, it doesn't hold weight when, when tested against scripture that we're a separate entity now. Mm-hmm. That we're not Israel, we're the church. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we're grafted into the same tree. Yep. And it tells us here that that law, given at Mount Sinai, before the consequences of the fall, or I should say the golden calf, we'll get into that in a future episode, before the consequences, the law that we've been reading, right, in this intent series, mm-hmm. that Torah, the Ten Commandments and the statutes immediately following, that's good doctrine. That's what he tells us. And he commands us right before Jesus comes on the scene, don't forget it. Remember this and obey it. Right. So if good doctrine is the Father's instructions, the Torah is given to Moses, what would bad doctrine be? If if forsaking the Torah is is if if let me say this another way. Because I'm I I gave the answer away. I I was gonna say you just gave me the answer. Yeah, so go ahead and answer (laughs) it. What's bad doctrine? Anything that causes you to forsake his Torah or law. Exactly. You're welcome. <laughs> so yeah, if if adhering to his Torah is good doctrine, and that's what the proverbialist tells us. <laughs> I like that word. <laughs> We're going to create a, a 
TV show called The Proverbialist. <laughs> That's good. It's like The Mentalist. That's really, really good. I like that. Maybe that should be, if this, if this podcast ever falls through, we'll just make a secondary podcast called The Proverbialists. Right. Plural, because there's two of Plural, us. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's no... I like that. There's no shortage of good podcast names. That's remember true. How, remember how we had trouble coming up with a name in the beginning? And we did. And we're just like, oh, that's, that'd be a good name for... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try and cancel us. We'll just start another one. So why... If that's so clearly outlined in Scripture here that adhering to his Torah is good doctrine, so forsaking his Torah would be that bad doctrine, why is there such a push in the church to forsake it? And I know, don't be wrong, I'm not misrepresenting here. Very few churches forsake the whole thing. Right. Very few. Right. I, I see that accusation thrown around a lot in, in groups that are more Torah observant. Mm-hmm that they've just forsaken the whole thing. I don't see a lot of churches that are guilty of that. There are some. <laughs> there are some pretty lawless churches, but very few. Right. That I've that I've encountered. Right. Mm-hmm. But there are sticking points. We've been talking about that the past few weeks, that there are there are a handful of sticking points that they just it doesn't matter how clear the father is about it. They'll refuse to even consider obeying it. That's forsaking. Mm-hmm. Right. For example, the Sabbath. I think that's the easiest example to point to because it's in the Big Ten Commandments. Right. It's in the Big Ten. We're not talking some tertiary command given given in this in some some obscure statute later on. It's enshrined in the Ten. Right. Right. And it's one of the first covenants that we ever have. Mm-hmm. It's a covenant he gave to Adam before the before the fall, before there ever was a Jew, and before Adam fell to sin, he made a seventh day covenant. To remember the seventh day, to honor the Father who made us, our maker. The whole point of it is to remember his creation of us. Right. Right? So it predates almost every other every other instruction given. It predates them all. Right? Mm-hmm. Right there in shrine. So the, 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 that, and that eliminates two arguments right off the bat that, well, it's part of the Sinai covenant and that's not applicable anymore. It predates that. Well, it's only for the Jews. Predates that. <laughs> right. It predates all of it. It's the first thing that he took seriously enough to say, hey, remember this thing. And by the way, it's the only commandment in the Ten Commands, like we've talked about, that he says, remember. Why is it such a sticking point? I guess I just, I, I guess I don't understand. I don't have an answer. Right. I'm asking you a question I really don't have an answer for because I don't understand it beyond just kind of what you've already said. It's what we've always been taught. What we've always believed. Mm-hmm. At some point, the church fathers enshrined this attitude within us right. that we should just get rid of this thing. And when you dig in, and we'll do this in a future episode, when you dig in to the reasons these church fathers that we revere so highly gave for why we should get rid of, for example, the Sabbath and Passover and things like that, they're not good reasons. They're not biblical reasons, right? Right. At one point, one of them point blank says, we should have absolutely nothing in common with the detestable Jewish crowd. Therefore, let's get rid of it. That's what he said. That's mm-hmm. what Constantine said at the Council of Nicaea. Right. I'm not making this up. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in the, it's in the public fact. record. It's yeah. a recorded fact. And that, at that point, he's talking specifically about the Passover. He's talking about anything that they, that they chose to define as specifically Jewish. We don't want to have anything in common with them. They're Christ killers. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
thousands of the of the when you look at the church in Jerusalem in the first century when right. it's first developing, it's filled with Jews. Right. Okay. The first the first people coming in droves to belief in Jesus were Jewish. Those are the people we don't want to have anything in common with. Mm. Peter, James, Paul, yeah. nothing in common with those people because they're Christ killers. Do you see the the exercise in bad logic here? Right. This is bad doctrine. And this is the whole point of why I've I've really chosen the next few weeks to focus on Sinai. Because everything points back to Oreb. It points back to that initial covenant with the Ten Commandments. Right. And very few, very few churches would disagree with if I just say we should obey the Ten Commandments, most will say, Yeah, absolutely. It's when you mention the Sabbath. It's when you mention the fourth commandment, they're like, eh, but not that. Or, eh, I'm going to redefine the Sabbath to something else. Right. I believe in a principle of a Sabbath. It's not what the fourth commandment says. Fourth commandment doesn't say, remember a principle about a Sabbath of some kind. It says, remember the seventh-day Sabbath to keep it holy. That's what it says. Mm-hmm. Why do you think we kick against that goat so harshly? I think it's a couple of couple of reasons folded in um but i mean i guess that they all lead back to popular opinion mm-hmm. it's it's a it's it you know i mean like i said there's a lot of things oh it's too hard to to do that or you know well and then you know then there's like you said there's some people that just they they okay we'll, we'll have a sabbath but we're not going to follow it to the t Right. Right. I think it's just one of those things that it's become so common that, you know, now, now when you try to kick, when you try to kick against them, you know, people not doing what they should, they feel like they're being attacked. Yeah. Right. So they kind of cling to it even harder. They do. Yeah. You know, there's weird hostility against even saying that we should obey it. I think that's what confuses me the most. Mm hmm. You know, it's it's one thing to, you know, well, this is what we've always been taught or I was taught it to burden because that's usually one of the arguments is, well, it's a burden. Uh, I don't understand how resting one day, him, him guaranteeing, guaranteeing you that you have a weekend, you know what I mean? A, right. a way for your job. I'm not sure how that's burdensome. And most of the ones that would say it's burdensome would turn right around and say we should rest on Sunday. That's our Sabbath. Right. Why is that not a burden? You're saying the exact same thing. You're just disagreeing with the Father on which day. So mm-hmm. how how is the first day not a burden, but the seventh day is a burden? You know what I mean? Exactly. Or do you have plans yeah, on the just, seventh day and you're yeah. just not willing to, to readjust your schedule for him? I think that's kind of, that has a lot to do with it too, of, of the way that, that uh, our society has organized the calendar. They, you know, a lot of people would prefer that the Sabbath be on, you know, Sunday, and if mm-hmm. it's not, then they don't agree with that. I think it's become a convenience issue. I think it started as something pretty vile. When you look mm-hmm. at the quotes from a lot of the church fathers, and I didn't want to harp on Sabbath and Passover. We're going to talk about Passover next week, and we're going to have a whole episode on Sabbath. Um, it's just the easiest example to point to as to to why we lean toward bad doctrine, as the mm-hmm. Bible we just showed defines bad doctrine as forsaking the Torah, mm-hmm. right? It's the easiest example we can point to because it's one of the few things that that is a huge sticking point, right? And I guess it's the one that confuses me the most. Mm-hmm. I think I think a little bit of it too is the reason that it's 
probably one of the more one of the more higher brokens is I I don't know how to word this in the sense where there's not like immediate and substantial proof that you're doing something wrong mm-hmm. in the sense that if you murder someone, you can very easily point to the dead body and said, you've murdered this person. Right. If you commit adultery, you can very easily look at that situation and say, you commit adultery that like that's very defined. But when you say, well, even did I really break the Sabbath? You know, like there's no tangible proof beyond what's written in the law. Right. That you're breaking a law. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, I know what I'm, I, I can see the point in my head I'm trying to make, <laughs> but I'm not articulating that very well. Yeah. Cause I mean, the, the person would say, well, it says it's written that you're breaking a law. Yeah. But I don't know. There's no worldly evidence that you can, like physical evidence besides written law that mm-hmm. you're breaking, right? Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. Uh, can you you, ha, you have a very canny way of explaining something better than I explained it? Do you, do you, do you get my point? What I'm trying to say there? It's yes. I I think I think we've turned the Sabbath into our minds into something that's culturally Jewish. And it's not culturally American, so we're just going to serve God in a way that's that's culturally relevant to us. Right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think a lot of Christians probably do believe that they're they're in obedience with that command. You know what I mean? Right. It's just well, we have our cultural flavor to bring to the table, and that's not always wrong, right? I think the error I see in a lot of real strict Torah pursuant groups is it's almost like they're trying to become Jewish. Right. Mm -hmm. Even beyond what the Bible tells us in the Torah, beyond what the father tells us in his instructions, they'll add a lot of Jewish flair to it. And it's, it's, it almost turns into more of a show. Right. Right. Cause there's a lot of things that the Jewish people do. That's not in the Torah, like it or not. It's, it's just not there. It's not necessarily wrong. Traditions like that aren't wrong. Right. As long as you're not promoting those traditions as law, like elevating it equal status to his law. Mm-hmm. That's a sin. Right. Right. That would be wrong. The, the church does that too. Both groups do that. But I think it, it's turned into a showy thing. Mm-hmm. Look at what I'm doing. Yep. You know what I mean? Look at look at the way I dress. Look at the way I observe this thing. The Passover, for example, super simple, biblically speaking, super simple. There's like just a couple, a couple. There's really just a couple commands that you have to abide by to remember the Passover. Mm-hmm. But Jewish tradition adds a, a whole slew of of observances to it, like the Seder plate and things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've I've seen groups that get really legalistic about applying the Jewish tradition to it, even though it's not commanded. Right. And I think. I don't know if I'm expressing myself well either. Right. I think the issue with the the Sabbath, I think. I think a lot of the hang ups that the church has are things that really aren't explicitly commanded about the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And when you look at Jesus, the way he approached the Sabbath. I think a lot of believers look at the way he criticized the Jewish leaders of the day for how they were enforcing Sabbath law, right? 
and he doesn't enforce those things and actually criticizes them for it. I think the church points to those examples and says, see, he didn't keep the Sabbath. Why should we? But he's not criticizing the Sabbath, though. No. He's criticizing the laws they added to the Sabbath. It tells us in the text that Jesus had a, a habit of going to the synagogue on Sabbath and standing up to read the traditional Torah portion. It says that that was his custom, meaning he did it habitually on the Sabbath, which means that means what? He was observing the Sabbath, Sabbath in the synagogue. It was his custom. He was criticizing them for laws added to it. For example, they're walking through a field and his disciples are simply plucking heads of grain off. They had defined that as working. They defined that as labor. Now the Sabbath, the Father tells us in the restrictions on the Sabbath, you're not to, you're not to do laborious work for your own gain. Mm-hmm. That's the restriction. They had applied that to just plucking heads of grain to eat because they were hungry. That's not biblical. Right. He's criticizing them for things that were not biblical. But then we take that and we apply it to things that he never intended it to be applied to. Right. Right. Again, we'll get into that more on our Sabbath episode. I really didn't mean to get onto a Sabbath tangent. Right. I really didn't. I, I do think it's important. Mm-hmm. I think the Sabbath is very important. He takes it seriously again. You know, I'll stress this over and over and over again. The Sabbath, of all the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath is the most repeated throughout Scripture. The most repeated. It's the only one that he explicitly says, remember this thing, don't forget it. Right. Right. And I know you've hit on this before, but it's almost as if he knew it would be the one that we most easily forget. I agree. And it's also the one, and he says this about the Passover too, which we'll get into next week, but it's one of the few commands, it's the only command, actually, that in the Sinai Covenant— and elsewhere, I believe, is through the prophet Ezekiel, he calls the Sabbath a sign or a mark upon those who choose to belong to him. He considers it an outward sign that you're his. Right. That's serious business, mm-hmm. man. Serious business. There's nothing burdensome about that. If he wants us to show an outward sign that we're his to the rest of the world, that's his prerogative. And if we, if we truly, I, I don't want to... I don't want to say this in a way that's too harsh. Mm-hmm. If we truly love the Father wholeheartedly, if we truly do, every Christian I know says that I love God with all my heart. If you do, then you're willing to do the simple things he asks you to do without making excuses for it. Right. The moment you start making excuses, when you point to that command and you say, nah, I'm not doing that, guess what you just proved? You don't love him as wholeheartedly as you claim. And I know that's harsh but it's the truth and it needs to be repented of. Right. Right. He takes it seriously. Something that let's go on a little bit of a rabbit trail. Cause this okay. bothered me too. Cause I was on a little bit of a tangent earlier about this. It's football season. Mm-hmm. We just had playoff games this weekend, right? Really? You didn't notice? <laughs> no, I did. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I can I didn't sense notice. The I didn't notice until this morning, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, full disclosure, I gave up on f- football and most organized sports years ago. So preface <laughs> this conversation with that. Yeah. Well, I I did watch it. I do watch occasionally. I I'm the same way. I don't I don't like what they push and my that's that's a totally different topic. Yeah. But anyway, uh we're in Missouri. So chief fanaticism is running wild right now mm-hmm. after that win they had over Buffalo. Okay, so they won. They did win. Okay. Yeah, boy, you really are. You're completely disconnected from it, aren't yeah, I'm you? I'm telling you, man. 
It was a very good game. Right. It was a good game. That's not the point I'm making, though. I see believers just going nuts over a football team. Over a football team filled with multimillionaires that we've almost turned into idols. Let's be real. Let's be totally honest. Yeah. The way we treat these celebrity athletes and celebrities in general, they're our pantheon. They've become our pantheon of false gods. Mm -hmm. That's what we've turned them into. And I see... I see believers, some of whom I know preach against what we're talking about right now. They they would preach against me wholeheartedly in their church that I'm a legalist because I look at what the Father says and I read him tell us the Sabbath is a sign that you should wear on yourself. It's a sign. The Passover is a sign. You know, when he talks about the Passover, and again, we'll talk about this next week, he uses language almost identical to the mark of the beast in reverse. He says you should wear the the Passover should be like a brand between your eyes and on your arm, on your fore, on your on your right hand and on your forehead. That's how he describes observing the Passover. The mark of the beast in Revelation, the inverse of that is the mark of the beast will be like a brand on your forehead and on your right hand. Like the flip reverse of God's mark. Mm-hmm. And the two the two things that God calls a mark for himself upon those who believe in him. Passover and Sabbath. He refers to the whole Torah in that language too later in Deuteronomy, by right. the way. He says that you should wear it like a like a brand between your forehead and on your right hand. It's an it's an idiom, by the way. Just as a side note, that's idiomatic. It means that you should believe in this and you should act upon that belief. Mm-hmm. Forehead for belief, hand for how you act, how you behave. That's what he's saying. Right. Right. So the, if 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 the the mark of the beast is Similar language, similarly idiomatic, it means that you believe in the Antichrist and act in accordance with that belief. Right. Right. So it's the reverse. Mm-hmm. Right. Total side side note. Point is I'm making with the football thing. I kind of got trailed off a little bit. It's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll preach and we'll rant and we'll rave against God's commandments. Right. How burdensome they are. We shouldn't have to wear a sign or a mark on ourselves to prove that we belong to God. But we'll turn right around and we'll dump $80 for a jersey with Mahomes' name on it to prove to all our family and friends that we are fanatically fans of Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll put NFL branding all over our body to prove how devoted we are to our football team. Mm. We'll make social media posts about how amazing they are and how great they are and how, how, how in love with the Chiefs you are. We'll, we'll boast about all the fireworks that are on display because the Chiefs won a football game. We'll turn right around and when the Father above in heaven the maker of heaven and earth, the king of the universe, the the great I am, the most high, tells us, do this thing because I consider it a sign upon those who belong to me and I'm not giving you an option. Obey this thing. We'll say, eh, no. That's kind of burdensome, God. I don't want to put a sign on myself. Right. If you love me, you wouldn't give me that burden. Right. I just... There's a huge disconnect here, mm-hmm. and it's, it's idolatrous. We're putting things above him. Right. We put on a good show, and we give good lip service on Sunday, the day he didn't say to set apart. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll become so hostile if somebody like us sitting here says, maybe we should do this thing. Maybe we should take the Father seriously. We'll get anathematized. Just for saying it. Oh, yeah. You won't. I, I promise you. And this isn't me complaining, right? Because I, I don't care. 
I don't. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sit here and tell you something that's not true to make it feel better, to make it comfortable. I'm going to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. I'm going to point the way to the Father. I'm not going, I'm not going to share a half-truth for the sake of having a thousand listeners when I can tell one person that'll accept it the whole truth. Right. I'd rather do that. But this is just a this is just a fact. Because we promote that we should be obeying all of the Father's commandments, I guarantee you this podcast will never be on a church bulletin board. This podcast will never be in the in the highlight reels before Sunday telling people, hey, check these guys out. Let's let's give them help. Even the churches that I've poured my heart and soul into, helping them whenever they've called, whenever they've needed my assistance with something, and that does happen frequently. I'm always there. I'll always help wherever I'm needed. Feeding the poor, clothing the homeless, helping with a youth camp, whatever you need me to do. But I guarantee you, because we preach that you should be obeying the Father, I will never see that support in return. Right. That's fine. I don't care. But if that's you listening to this, you need to ask yourself why. Why are you so hostile toward just simply doing what the Father instructs us to do? He tells us it's bad doctrine to forsake his Torah. I choose to believe he meant that. Going back to, if I was going to respond to why is this a problem, Mm -hmm. I think, and again, this is going to be harsh too, and I don't even know if we're going to get to our main topic today, I'll be honest with you. It's all right. We've been going for a while and that's fine. I think it goes back to the very first strategy Satan implemented in the garden. What did he ask Eve? Do you remember? Will you, will you really die? Will yeah, that was part will, of it, yeah. Did God uh, really say? Yeah, did really, did he, yeah. Did God really say that? What was his intent? Why did he ask it? Like, why did he frame the question the way he did? Why do you think? Just to, to, undermine, to undermine what God said. Exactly. It's ex- exactly to, right. To lead Eve away from, at that point, law. He was never going to convince Eve. She saw God. They walked with him in the cool of the day. He was never going to convince Eve that God wasn't real. And in the vast majority of cases, even today, those of us that haven't seen God, he's, he's very unlikely to convince a believer to apostatize, mm-hmm. meaning stop believing in God altogether. That's rare. Right. But he can get you to question God's motives. He can get you to question his intent. He can get you to disobey him. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the goal of asking that question. Did God really say to do this? And it's the same strategy he's using right now. It's what we're talking about. He convinces believers that God didn't really mean what he said. Right. Even when he's saying it very clearly. Because we've, we've read quite a bit. Like, go back in, in our, our Ten Commandment episode. He words himself very clearly there. Mm-hmm. And we even highlighted that he went out of his way when he gave the Ten Commandments. He spoke it out loud for all of Israel to hear. I think in our minds, we think of it like he gave the Ten Commandments on stone and then they read it later. Mm-hmm. Now, he, his voice boomed out from the mountain and the entire assembly heard him speak the Ten Commandments out loud. Yep. He was very clear. I right? was saying and again in that episode, I think we have that that mind in our or that that picture in our head that Moses came down with tablets and he read tablet and he read the, the 
the law off the tablets because that's what has been portrayed in the movies. But mm-hmm. if you read it, yeah, you're right. His voice was heard. Yes. And he chose to include the Sabbath in that. Right. And the only reason I keep bringing that up is because it seems to be the one sticking point. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, unless you're Catholic. I hate to, <laughs> I hate to be blunt, but I have yeah. the catechism, and we'll get into that later. The Catholics after, actually rewrote the Ten Commandments to, to remove the prohibition against idolatry. Hmm. No joke. I've read it. They, they put in the catechism the actual Ten Commandments, and then there are ten sections following that where they explain why God changed it and why idolatry shouldn't be included anymore. Right. Okay. That's deeply problematic. That's a topic for a, for another day. Mm-hmm. Um, that requires a discussion unto itself. If, you, if you're at a place where you think worshiping idols, worshiping angels, worshiping saints, worshiping Mary is okay, then that requires a, a deeper discussion. Right. Um, we should just know that's not right. He's very, very clear. Don't make, don't make a graven image of anything. Heaven above, earth below, sea beneath, nothing. Nothing. I will not share worship. He's clear about that. He does not share worship with anyone or anything, period. And he has a certain way that he demands he be worshipped. That's where the Sabbath comes in. Mm -hmm. He requires that he's worshipped in a certain way, right? Right. He has that right. He's the most high. He gets to decide how we worship him. We don't get to decide that. Augustine doesn't get to decide that. Constantine doesn't get to decide that. Andy Stanley, who thinks we should unhitch from the Old Testament, doesn't get to decide that. The Father does. Right. We need to start obeying him. We need to get serious about it. I don't know why I'm so passionate on this today. I didn't even plan to talk on on this. I mm-hmm. think time's running out. I'm going to be open and honest. I don't think we have a lot of time left. The world is falling apart. It's literally falling apart. I don't know if we're close to the second coming. I don't know if we're close to the tribulation. I lean toward believing we are. I don't think we have a lot of time left. Either we're very close to the end or we're very close to an end. Either way, you need to get right. Yep. You need to get right. Either we're, we're getting close to the world's end or we're getting close to an end for America. Something's about to happen. I can just feel it. And I don't know if it's something spiritual or something physical or something both. We're headed towards something. And he is violently shaking us, trying to get us to wake up and repent and do things his way. And in the churches, we're just making excuses. Right. We're just doubling down on the excuses and pointing the finger at everybody else. Well, he's probably shaking you. No, he's shaking his people first, I promise you. Judgment starts with his people first. We've got to get right. I'm going to move away from the Sabbath for now. We'll talk about that okay. on its own episode. I will say this before we before we transition away from it, too. I think a little bit of it comes from the, you know, we've, and we've talked about this before, where, where we cherry pick um, verses, and, and but we don't look at the context. Or, you know, mm-hmm. some of, you know, that, you know, the commandment about the Sabbath was a couple of verses. But if you see it written out, in most places where, where they, you know, they'll give you, you know, the, the Bible passages that it comes from, but when they actually list them, like one, two, three, you always just get the first, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. 
So then that right. comes, then that becomes like, well, that was the commandment. And as long as I'm keeping it and I'm remembering it as holy in my head, what more is there? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you're not or doing a Sabbath. A, yeah, right. you see that a lot. I well, I, I keep a Sabbath. A Sabbath. Yeah. yeah. He says the the. He says right. the Sabbath, and you know there are some arguments that are typically made about why we don't do the Sabbath anymore, and that's why I want to we'll we'll move away from it for now, and we'll just have an entire episode where we dive into that because there's there's no argument against the Sabbath that holds up against scripture right. if you're a good berean and you test it out right and you just test it against the the words of of the father in right. his book they don't hold up we always have to lean on the words of church fathers external to scripture and i'm sorry it shouldn't matter what they say right right they have some some wise insights there's some things to be learned right mm-hmm but not at the expense of setting aside the words of the Father. If if holding to the words of the church fathers or your favorite pastors requires you to set aside the Father's words, it's time to set aside the church fathers and pastors <laughs> yeah, instead. Right. Right. Yep. I was saying the one of the reasons that I, that I bring that up, you know, about the cherry picking is um, I had a conversation with somebody not too long ago about, um, well, you know, God says, thou shalt not kill. And, you know, how can you be a Christian and, and even be a soldier or believe in war or, you know, condone defending your family to the point of ending somebody's life. And I'm like, well, the actual commandment is do not murder. Right. But we've, we've allowed the translation and the cherry picking to come in. And, you know, we, should you kill? No, you shouldn't kill, but the the actual commandment is do not murder, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's kind of the I, I guess my point is 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 context is as important as when and to look at the whole thing is is important, not just cherry pick the one. Well, I'm keeping a Sabbath, or, right? Well, I'm you know, you know what I mean, like it. it Translations matter. Yes. And we also need to study the whole word. Right. And I think the problem is, and that's why I wanted to get into this this Sinai discussion to begin with, because it's rarely taught on. It's it's almost always presented in churches, and I've heard it multiple times. It's almost always framed as, well, those are Jewish things that, you know, we can get some insight from, but just remember it's a Jewish thing. That's how it's presented. I've heard that at Bible studies and, and in sermons. It's always how it's framed. And, and you never, you, you rarely see them dive into a real in-depth discussion. It's almost always they'll, they'll cherry pick something out of the law to prove text mm-hmm. for themselves. And that's that's one of the, the, the biggest contributing factors to bad doctrine is the practice of proof texting, where you take something out of context like you were talking about mm-hmm. just to prove your point about something. Right. With, with no regard to the actual context of the verse that you're using, you just use the wording because stripped from its oh, stripped stripped away from its surrounding context, it seems like it agrees with your opinion on something. Right. So you use it to proof text. So that's how they handle the law. Mm-hmm. They'll take something out of the law and proof text it. Say, see, this proves my point on this, but I'm going to ignore the rest of the law, which is wildly hypocritical. 
If the law is so imperative that you can proof text to prove your point on something, then it should be imperative enough to just obey the whole thing. Do you right. see what I'm saying? Right. Either it's all relevant or none of it is. Right. You can't have it both ways. And that's why I think it's important to dive into what he actually says in this covenant. Right. Because mm-hmm. we rarely actually study it out. We'll study out. Well, we don't even really study out Paul. We proof text him, too. We do the exact same thing when he says things about, you know, don't let anybody judge you according to a Sabbath. We ignore the fact that he's talking about Gnostics there. Right. Mm hmm. And we apply that in a way that agrees with our opinion. Oh, see, he's saying, don't let anybody judge you about the Sabbath so I can just ignore the Sabbath. It's not what he said. Right. At no, at no point in Paul's letters does he say it's okay to ignore the fourth commandment. Right? Right. He's talking about a completely different set of circumstances there. Mm-hmm. Don't let anybody judge you about the way you keep the Sabbath. You Right. Right. Don't let anybody judge you about your manner of, of, of obeying the Father's commandments. Don't let anybody judge you if you're not at the same place of understanding as them, mm-hmm. right? You can approach the way he words that several different ways, depending on how you choose to position yourself as you read it. Do you, right. Does that make sense what I'm yeah. saying? So like Absolutely. positionally, your, your, your positional stance determines how you're going to read what he wrote, which mm-hmm. is why it's important to understand the positional stance of the people actually reading it in context. And if they're dealing with Gnostics who were so extreme, by the way, that they believe you, you shouldn't be allowed to eat meat, you should, some got so extreme that they wouldn't even eat something. If it tasted good, they wouldn't eat it. I, I believe it's called, uh, uh, what do they call that? Asceticism, I think is the word for it, mm-hmm. where you almost punish yourself. You make yourself miserable because they believe that if you made yourself miserable, it made you more spiritual. Right. That's what he's dealing with there. Right. And we're we're presented clearly in Scripture that the Sabbath is supposed to be a blessing. Jesus tells us it's made for you. It's a rest. It's a recharge. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be a blessing. A time time to reflect and and reconnect with him. Right. Even if you look at the appointed times, the holy days, because that's part of what what Paul talks about there, the, the, the holy days. They're feasts. There's only one of them that you're supposed to fast, and that's the Day of Atonement, because you're supposed to be repenting that day. Exactly. Right? You're supposed to be self-reflecting your sins that day and changing. And sin, by the way, can only be defined according to his law. So he's telling you on the Day of Atonement to reflect on those things where you're failing him and fix it. Mm-hmm. He's telling you he'll forgive you, but he's, he's asking you to fix it. That's the one day that's not pleasant. The other feast days, it's, it's joyful celebrations. Right. Right? But the Gnostics would have you believe that that's a sin. Enjoying yourself as a sin. That's what he's dealing with. Point is, context matters. Even with Paul, context matters. We have to read him in his word, is the point I'm making. Right. And we have to read him in his whole word, not just the parts we like. Right. Well, in, in, in a matter of way, you, you kind of made the point that I was going to make next of, you know, we have to take things on the whole and and I'll, and I'll circle this back to the very beginning when you were talking about Bob Saget and the fact that the one person took and 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 the reason that I say that is because I think we do this everybody does this at some point is we take a facet of something that we know very little about and use that as a fact to drive our opinion 
Mm-hmm. Well, Bob Saget was a terrible man because at one point in time he did this egregious thing. But did he ever repent of it? Do you know if he ever did? Did you research that out? Right. Are you just using that as a fact to, to feel your your argument that he was a bad man? Those same people never would have accepted Manasseh after he repented. Right. Because in my opinion, if he if he earnestly, even committing egregious sins, if he earnestly begged forgiveness from God, vindicated in my opinion. I agree. So And scripture agrees. Right. So I mean, and that's what I'm saying where I think that I think that's what we're kind of dealing with here is people take a facet of something that they've studied very little about and spin that into their truth. I I agree. I think you have two extreme positions, right? Because I'm not telling you that if you don't obey this thing perfectly, you're not going to make it. Right. Yeah. I'd be done for. Right. Right. I'd have no hope in the world if that was the case. But you do have that extreme side that if you don't obey these laws absolutely flawlessly, then you're lost. That's not true, right? But then you have the other side that, well, because he's so gracious, because he's so forgiving, I don't have to obey at all. That's not true either. Right. He's very, very, very clear. You Mm -hmm. need to repent. If you're failing, you need to repent. If you're failing daily, you need to repent daily. But that is not an excuse to allow yourself to slide into the habit of failing him. Mm -hmm. And that, when we come to these sticking points, that the churches have, that's what they're, that's what they're encouraging their congregations to do. They're saying with this thing and this thing and this thing, you can just habitually rebel against him. He doesn't even care anymore. No big deal. With this stuff over here, the society agrees with the, with us on still that stuff you have to obey. Don't cheat on your spouse. Everybody agrees with that. Mm -hmm. Right. But this other stuff, it's not culturally relevant. You can rebel. Right. It's not what he says. Right. And, the danger is when you allow that line to be redrawn with the culture, you'll continually redraw it. Mm-hmm. We just had more important than football season. This weekend was uh, Sanctity of Life weekend, I think is what they call it. They had the right to life protest in, in D.C. again for the unborn. I know churches right here in town, they won't preach on it. They won't preach on abortion. They won't preach on the... What, what essentially has become our culture's infanticide, our culture's child sacrifice, right? That's essentially what abortion is. Mm-hmm. And you know I'm passionate about this. I've gotten onto tangents about this in the podcast before. That's what it amounts to. We sterilize it, make it seem like it's not that big of a deal. It's just a medical procedure, but it's essentially the same as sacrificing kids to Moloch 2,000 years ago. Yep. It's no different. It's the same sin. We have churches that won't even preach against it because it's disunifying. They don't want to damage unity in the church. They don't want to hurt somebody's feelings because then they might not tithe. Right. So they won't even preach it. They redraw that line. If you'll redraw the Sabbath line, you'll redraw any line. I'm telling you, I know this sounds over the top, but it's the truth. If you can take one of the big Ten Commandments and redraw that line, you'll redraw any line. And time is proving me right. I've mm-hmm. warned about that before. Time is proving me right. They won't even preach about abortion in a lot of churches. They certainly won't preach on homosexuality and transgenderism, which is tearing our culture to pieces right now. And I promise you, infuriating the Father above. I promise you. They won't even preach on that. 
because it's disunifying, might hurt somebody's feelings. We want them to feel welcome here. No, that's not what you're called to do. You're not called to make sinners who are refusing to repent feel welcome. You're called to make them feel convicted. There's a difference. Yep. There's a difference. But if you can disobey the fourth commandment, difference doesn't make. It's consensual, right? It's all consensual. Nobody's getting hurt. Right. No big deal. That's what they think it is. Mm Mm-hmm. There's somebody getting hurt. Yep. And honestly, if the only one getting hurt is the father, isn't that enough? <laughs> yeah, exactly. When David was confronted, we'll get into this later. When David's confronted with his sin, he says in the Psalms, against you and you only have I sinned. The father wasn't the only one he sinned against. He killed Uriah. Right? right? But in that moment, David understood the harsh reality that the one that you're really sinning against, no matter who you're sinning against, the one you're truly sinning against is the Father. And you need to come to him in sackcloth and ashes pleading for forgiveness like David did. But we won't do that because we're convinced that our sins are okay. We've sterilized them. It's not a big deal anymore. We have grace now. And I I think we have come through a period of... I don't want to call it a period of grace. I think it's a period of patience. I think we've been through a long period of patience. He's been calling us out the entire time. He's always preserved a remnant of people who haven't, as as 1 Kings, I think, chapter 18 says, when Elijah's confronting the priests of Baal, maybe chapter 19, when Yahweh's uh, comforting Elijah. He says, mm-hmm. I've preserved a remnant of 7,000 who haven't bent the kneel to Baal, bent the knee to Baal or kissed him. Right? He was forgiving those who were repenting of their idolatry, but he says, I've preserved a remnant of those who didn't even succumb to it. Right? He's always preserving a remnant. Right? Mm-hmm. But I think he's been very patient with us and with the church in general for our open defiance. But again, something's shifting. Yeah. We're headed towards something, and I think his patience is coming quickly to a close. Yeah, I think we're, we've all kind of gotten comfortable with the with the lamb yeah. not expecting the lion to come back and I think that's what's happening I agree the church is and I saw this this was a quote given on the radio the other day and I don't there's, there's a lot of truth to it and I don't even re, I don't even know if the pastor who gave the quote realizes how true it truly is true it truly is that's kind of redundant. That's all right. It's a truthy truth. Is it truth? Is a truthy truth? I like that. That's good. He said, "Sorry, the, Sarah." No, yeah. <laughs> he said the church is starving for discernment, but choking on heresy. I couldn't have said that any better. But we've redefined heresy as grace. <laughs> what we've done, right? He tells us that heresy is bad. Doctrine is forsaking his law. That's how he would define heresy. When you stray away from him, when you stray away from his ways, we've turned it into just dogma, right? It's what we've always been taught. They're choking on it. I asked earlier, I said that loud. I asked earlier why you think we have this propensity for bad doctrine among believers. 
one of the biggest arguments I see in favor of rejecting some of these commands is that, well, he didn't repeat that in the New Testament, so I don't have to obey it. He didn't explicitly repeat that. I think I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. Mm. I hate that argument. Why should the Father have to repeat himself before you'll consider obeying him? Right. Why should he have to do that? Not to mention the fact that it's simply not true. Again, when we're talking about the major sticking points, like the Sabbath and Passover, for example, it says, like I just mentioned, that it was the custom for Jesus to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. We're told in the Acts chapter 15 decision, and focusing on verse 21, he I'm paraphrasing this because I don't have it in front of me. And I'm using my tablet to Chris's chagrin that I don't have a, a physical Bible in front of me. Wait a, wait a minute. That was a big word. Chagrin. I got I mean, it from, you disapprove. Okay, I got it from context, but I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so, <laughs> essentially, the decision being made in Acts chapter 15 is Gentiles are coming into faith. And we have to understand the context of what they're coming from. These aren't Jewish proselytes that are, that are coming to faith in Jesus. These are pagans. Right. All they've ever known is paganism. Right? And I know that most of us don't have a lot of interaction with paganism. It does still exist in the world. But most of us in America, in small-town America, or even big-city America, we don't see it a lot. But the practices that they had were vile, right? They would mm -hmm. worship in these pagan temples with actual idols. They would make offerings to these idols. They would actually engage in, like, orgies and things like that to honor their pagan mm -hmm. deities, Um Obviously, in the extreme circumstances, child sacrifice, they'd cut themselves to make themselves bleed in honor of their deities that actually drink blood, mm -hmm. right? These are the practices they would engage in. And when you look at, at the close of the letter that James commissions to send out to the churches for the Gentile believers, he's telling them what they have to obey day one. He's not giving them a laundry list of every command that they have to obey. If he was, then I think he would include do not murder, which he doesn't. <laughs> right. Churches handle this, doctrine handles this as if, well, these are the only commands that Gentiles have to obey. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, when you come into faith in Jesus, this is what you need to start obeying day one. And then he gives us a short list, and every single item on that list is directly, it directly correlates to pagan worship practices, like drinking blood. Right. So essentially what he's saying is all these practices that you've engaged in when worshiping your Greek or Roman pantheon, stop that right now. Stop it. Idolatry is unacceptable is essentially what James is saying. Stop it right now. Mm -hmm. But then he says something in verse 21 that completely shipwrecks this attitude that the Torah isn't repeated in the New Testament, therefore we don't have to obey it. To these Gentile believers, these non-Jewish converts, mm -hmm. right? Into believing in Jesus, he says, after he gives this short list, and again, I'm paraphrasing this, but after giving this short list, he says, after all, the Torah of Moses, servant of God, is preached in the synagogues every Sabbath. Why would he say that? Why would he say that at the end of when he's telling these Gentile converts how they should learn how to obey the Father? He starts off with a short list detailing their pagan worship practices and says, stop that day one. Then after he gives them the day one instructions, he says, after all, the Torah is preached in the synagogues every Sabbath. Right. Could it possibly be that he's telling them, you'll learn the rest as you go? Yep. These are the most important things. 
These are the most important things right now because he will not abide by idolatry. He's done abiding by that. For the rest of the stuff, for the more detailed aspects of how to follow Yahweh, how to obey him, how to walk as Jesus walked, you'll learn that in the synagogues on the Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath, which means that the assumption is these believers are gathering together where? The synagogue. In the synagogues. When? On the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. It's just assumed. In a first-century church context, James just assumes that believers are making a habit of gathering together in the synagogues on the Sabbath because in the first century they were welcomed there. Believers in Jesus were welcomed there. That's where they learned. They had house churches too, Mm -hmm. right? They gathered on the first day also. There's nothing wrong with that. But it was just assumed that on the Sabbath they were going to synagogue to learn more. If the Torah is not relevant to the church, if it's not relevant to believers, and if the Father had to repeat himself ad nauseum to get you to obey him, why did James say that? Right. It shipwrecks that entire argument. Shipwrecks it. And if we're looking at Passover, while Jesus is holding, while he's celebrating Passover with his disciples, literally holding what's called the cup of redemption. I believe it's the cup of redemption. There's four cups traditional cups that you would drink during Passover. Mm -hmm. He's literally holding a Passover cup of wine and says, do this in remembrance of me. He's holding a Passover cup, a traditional Passover cup, celebrating Passover with his disciples. The night before he's going to become literally the Passover lamb on Passover day, three days before he becomes the first fruits of those who believe on the holy day first fruits, says, do this in remembrance of me. And what do we do? Oh, he must mean communion. And celebrate Easter. (laughs) Right. So so this argument that, well, I'll obey him if he repeats himself. Well, he repeated himself pretty clearly right there. That was from the mouth of your Messiah. The one you claim to revere wholeheartedly. Right out of his mouth. In a clearly defined context of Passover. And our argument is, uh, let's take a different holiday, name it after a pagan god is called Easter. And let's do that instead. And by the way... Let's have some rabbits for, so we have plenty of fertility imagery. And let's celebrate it that way. Completely divested from anything even remotely biblical. Right. And let's do some communion still. <laughs> I'm sorry to be condescending. And I know I'm diving into that territory. Right. But people, time's running out. Get serious about obeying him. Stop making excuses. He doesn't have to repeat himself. And if that's your argument that he does need to repeat himself, maybe when he actually does... Maybe obey it. Right. I've never, I've never heard a father say, would you like me to repeat myself? (laughs) I've always heard fathers say, do I need to repeat myself? Yeah. Don't make me repeat myself. Right. I didn't get to any of the points that I wanted to make really. Okay, <laughs> and we, we kinda, definitely didn't get well, to the statues and ordinances. Yeah, so we kind of, uh, we kind of, uh, no holds bar round two. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what we'll call it. I don't right know. On. Well, I mean, I think uh, as we prayed before we started to lead, were to lead us to where we needed to be tonight. So I feel like that's where we're right where we need to be. I agree. So next week. We'll do what we were going to do this week, and we'll get into the statutes and ordinances, at least the first two or three chapters. Okay. So that'll be chapters 21 through 22 and a half. 
I think is about what we'll get to. Okay. And I want to stop just short of when he, when he gives us the holy days, the appointed times. Mm-hmm. Cause I want to, I want to take an entire episode to focus on that by itself because there's some fascinating stuff with the appointed times as it's listed in the, the Sinai covenant there. Cause they change. It's really interesting from before the golden calf rebellion to after the holy days change. They, they're, they're the three main holy days are the same. Don't get me wrong, but he changes the name of them and he adds a couple. And it's really, it's a fascinating study by itself. Right. So I want to make sure that we have, that we talk about that on its own right. and why it matters, why we need to start getting serious about those. Right. Because they're very important and they're, they're very meaningful with relation to the work of the Messiah. But next week, there won't be any real sticking points next week, I don't think. Right. I think it's just statutes and ordinances that most of us are going to basically agree on. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think it's still important to dig into them because mm-hmm. I think some are kind of misconstrued, self-defense being one and, right. and things like that. So I think it'll be a good discussion. And uh, trying to decide how to close this out because this went sideways. I'll be honest with right. you. In the best possible way. I'm happy the best that it possible did. Way. Well, so, you know, something I've been throwing around in my head for a while that, um, so you kind of touched on this. I guess this will be my final thought for the day is, um, you know, there's two extreme sides, right? So we mm-hmm. have the, the strictly, the 100% you need to follow these to the ordinance or your, you know, you need to follow the laws to the letter or you're lost. And then the other extreme side is, well, you don't really have to follow the laws because you have grace. Right. So you can just do, do what makes you feel good. So I kind of liken that to, to a coin. So if you think about a coin, it has two faces, right? Mm-hmm. Every coin does. But is the value of those coins on instilled in either face or is it actually what's in between the two faces where the value is? I would say the, what it's made of. Right. What, what's, what's in between the two faces, the metal that is, is where the value of that coin is. Mm-hmm. Not the faces, not the two sides. It's right in the middle. The substance. The substance. The value of that coin is in the substance of what it's made of. I like that. I like that a lot. I said the substance of our faith really needs to matter. It's got to start there. It's got to be an inside out. We've talked about that a lot. It needs to be inside out. Right. I think I'll close with this, if you didn't have anything else. No. And I, I wanted to make this clear before we dug into the statutes, and I might kind of reiterate this point next week, but I want to close this with it here. We cannot obey our way to heaven. Right? I want to, I want to make that as clear as possible. We cannot obey our way to heaven. Our salvation can only come from the grace of Yahweh by the blood of Jesus. Right? We are all lost without that. Right? You're... Mm-hmm. Your obedience doesn't save you. His obedience did. Right? Right. The faithfulness, of, the faithfulness of Jesus is what saves you. He is our living water. Our life. Right? He's likened to living water for a reason. Do you know how many days you can live without water? Any at all. If you, any at all? Any at all. If you remove all moisture from your intake, how many days you can survive? I think it's three days. Three days. Isn't that interesting? Three days. 
we have that connection again. We've yeah. talked about that in weeks past. Three days and three nights in the grave, and he resurrects. Our living water resurrects in three days and three nights. We have that connection to Sinai. Every time you see this three days connection, it points in one of two directions. It either points forward to Jesus and what he did at Calvary, or it points backward to Sinai and the instructions he gave us for those in the covenant. I don't think that's accidental at all. I think those two events are intimately and pivotally pivotally linked to one another, right? His death and resurrection is what ratifies the eternal covenant. At Sinai, that's where he gave us the standards, the word to abide by in that eternal covenant, right? What he did at Calvary is what saves you. Your actions can't save you. His did. But that doesn't mean that the instructions aren't relevant and that they don't matter. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read this connection with water from Exodus. Now, this is right after the Red Sea. Okay, so they're on their way to Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. This is in chapter 15 of Exodus. And he says this, Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. Three days. Three days they're completely without water. When they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink, so they called the place Marah, which means bitter. So there were actual bitter springs there, and they couldn't drink them. Mm -hmm. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. Now remember, they're three days without water. Three days is all you have without water. So in the context here, they're dying. They're out. Yep. They're dying. Mm-hmm. So they're right to be worried. Worried, yeah. They're right to be worried. And then they come to this spring, and it seems like he's handed him over to death. And then he has Moses perform this miracle. Throws wood into the spring and it becomes clear. The bitterness leaves. But continuing on, it was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you will listen carefully, if, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. After leaving Marah, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elim, where they found twelve springs and seventy palm trees. They camped there beside the water. He brought them to a bitter spring just to make a point. He could have directed them straight to the springs where Mm -hmm. the 70 palm trees are. But he didn't. He brought them to a bitter spring. They've been in the desert for three days. Three days without water, they are dying. And he brings them to a bitter spring to make a point. Why do you think he did that? Why do you think he brought them there to a place of water that they couldn't even drink just to transform it into water they could drink and then to give them this message? 
to, so they would remember who it was that saved them. You think he's showing them who the living water is? I think this is a picture of Jesus here. I think that's what he's showing us through this Mara episode. He is our life, but he gives a stipulation. He's the one who saves us. He's the one who makes the bitter water clean. Right? Right. He's the one that provides our life. But he's also the one that says, if you obey my commands, then I will heal you. God showed at Mara that he's the only one who can provide the living water. Right? Right. Jesus is the living water. He's the only one that can provide it. He's our life. Trying to earn that on our own is like depending upon the water already in our system to sustain us. Right? Mm -hmm. Three days is all we have. We need him for more. We can't continue sustaining ourselves through our own efforts. He has to well up within us with his living water. But what should that look like? If we're abiding in him and he's abiding in us and that living water is welling up from the inside out, what's that going to look like on the outside? Is it going to look like continuing to live in sin? No. No. It's going to lead to obedience, right? Right. We won't be able to help ourselves. And that's sort of like the point that we've been making. But we have to be serious about his instructions. Right? Right. If we're abiding in him, then we would want to obey him. Right. Even if that means disagreeing with pastor. Even if that means disagreeing with our favorite church father. Even if that means disagreeing with the professor at our favorite Bible college. It means following him no matter what. That's what that should look like. We can choose to rebel against that. He's not saying that he won't give us a choice. Right. He'll forgive us. He'll heal us when we backslide. But he also says, if you obey me, then I'll heal you. We have got to start taking him seriously when he says that. Faith is not a game. We've got to stop treating it like it is. We've got to stop treating church like a social club. Because that's the way we treat it. We treat it like a place to bump elbows with all the right people and feel important. We don't treat it like a place where we're being discipled to learn how to truly follow after. And that needs to change. Because if my feeling is correct, if we're headed toward some dark days, if we're headed for a a difficult time of testing, church as you've known it is not going to carry you through it. Only the living water can. And he says, if you obey me, then I will heal you. It's a big if. It's a big if. I'm going to leave you with a question for next week. This is how it's going to transition to the main topic. But since we, we prattled on for a long time <laughs> on what was supposed to be segment one, <laughs> we didn't even get to our song break. I was so proud of that. I was excited about it. I'm going to have a song break for those of you listening next week, and I'm really excited for our new format. I'd planned on introducing that format this week, but like Chris said, this just turned into No Holds Barred episode two. Episode two. I'm not going to call it that, but that's what it felt like, and that's good. It's fine. I think this is a good primer to entering into our discussion on the statute so we can dig into them a little bit more mm-hmm. with more detail and finesse, right? But I'm going to ask you this week, what distinguished King David from King Saul? I don't want an answer. 
I want you to think about that for next week. And those of you listening, I want you to think about that too. What really was the distinguishing characteristic between King David and King Saul? I want you to really think about that. Fair? Fair. Got it internalized? Internalized. Got it written on your heart? All right. That's where I'm going to cut us off this week, I think. Do you got any closing thoughts before before we leave out? No. I don't even have a closing scripture reference because like everything was tailored. I already used my good closer (laughs) with the coin. Oh, okay. I'm fresh out. Okay. So what I want you to do, for those of you listening, I want you to rewind, rewind the episode to when he talked about the coin and then listen to that again and then fast forward to right now and then pretend like that's what we closed on because that was probably a better closer. Got that done? All right. Good job, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been fun. We pray this has been a blessing to you. If you have any questions or feedback, please find us on Facebook at That Philly Faith Fellowship. Again, our group is That Philly Faith Fellowship and join the conversation. If you'd like to help this ministry grow, then we simply ask that you follow or subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice and leave a like or positive review where available and share us with your friends. Again, thank you for listening. And as always, and most importantly, keep your feet steady upon the path, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and pursue that Philly faith, that Revelation chapter 3 Philly faith. Until next time, Shalom. God bless. Singing glory, yeah, amen. Singing glory.